brother, you live your life and then. We're in the Red Sea Catholic Radio Studios today. I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin and the Restorative Justice Ministry, which is service to the incarcerated, to the officers, and to all who are involved in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Uh, with me today is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our coordinator of pastoral care for the Gatesville region, and Renee Brown, who is our director of counseling for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. And we are in our fourth session now, uh, addressing the reality of grief and grieving. And uh, what do we uh, talk about today, Deacon Ronnie? Well, Renee, in this continuing of, of uh, what we need during grief, uh, could you give us some insights on uh, some daily intentional practices that can help us? with our grief? So one of the activities um, that our guru, as I like to call him at Catholic Charities, um, Paul Duffy, he he is a grief and loss counselor, um, but he gave me an activity that he works with with his clients, and it's called a daily grief container. And so the way to think about this is if every day, if you can put a little bit of time aside and What's helpful is if you if you can, you want it to be the same time every day because that helps us get into a routine. You know, it gives us some structure. So you want to be able to put about 45 minutes a day just to, to the practice of your grief container. And during this time, you're going to be intentional about your grieving. So this it's going to be your focus during this 45 minutes. And you want to take a journal. And you want to write down your thoughts and your feelings about what you're grieving. And I would like to say real quickly, this doesn't just have to be limited to the per- a person that's died. This could be to anything that you're grieving. We've spent our sessions um, talking about, or our segments rather, talking about the death of a loved one or maybe the death of a person that you had a challenging relationship. But Grief and loss is just not limited to the loss of people. It can be the loss of life due to incarceration. It can be if you're incarcerated and you can no longer parent your child 24-7, there is a deep loss in that. Um, If you had a career that you were going to work on and then you became incarcerated or, or there was a shift in your career, there is a loss in that. So Grief and loss is not just limited to the death of a person. Anytime you have a huge loss in your life, it could be children growing up, right? So when my, my last kiddo went away, I spent two weeks walking around my house going, what do I do? Like, she's not here. I'm not a mom. And really, I was. But in that moment, I was grieving that my child had left home. And so think of this activity is not just being limited to a person that you've lost through death, but it could be anything that you're grieving. So you're putting aside your 45 minutes. You're going to journal about your thoughts and feelings, you know, um, uh, as, as associated with this loss. How does it hurt you? What are you missing out on? Maybe you feel like you've disappointed people. Maybe you feel like you've disappointed yourself. Maybe you feel guilty. You know, write about those feelings that you're experiencing. And if you have them, you can even look at photos. I mean, photos can be a great trigger. Well, they can be negative or positive. But in this in this instance, it might be a, a helpful driving force. So, you know, looking at photos of loved ones or, or whatever. And also writing stories. 
you know, writing stories of what you thought would happen or write stories from your past, write stories about your relationships. So if you're making this about somebody uh, that was significant in your life that passed away, you know, if I'm looking at a picture of my father, then I might write some of the stories of, of you know, what I remember about him, like riding down when he taught me how to ride a bicycle when I was six years old or, you know, um, teaching me how to drive a car. It was the first time I ever spoke back to my dad when I rode down the hill 15 times because I couldn't keep a standard up on the hill, right? So, and there was some funny moments to that. So writing stories, um, you know, looking at photos, if you have the opportunity, music is such a beautiful way to get in touch with emotion and feeling too. There are so many memories that I have that are attached to specific songs, a song that probably a lot of people won't know because I'm older, but I only have eyes for you by the Flamingos. I think it was recorded in the 60s. I can't hear that song and not think of my mom and dad because that was their song or a song that I would sing all the time when my son was a baby. You make me so happy. Uh, you are my sunshine is what I sing for my grandson. Songs and music have this way to invoke feeling, memories, stories, So even that can be a piece that you can incorporate into your grief container. I actually had an example of that in a funeral that I did many years ago in in the diocese. And it was a a couple that had – the guy was from uh, Brooklyn and the lady was from our area of the diocese. They met at a dance. Uh, He was stationed at Fort Hood. And they were uh, gathering up the gals on buses to go over there to have a dance for the soldiers during World War II. And they met and they fell in love and he met her family and all. And then he ended up getting shipped out and and he came back. And um, this was on her death. The, the funeral the, the funeral mass was for her death. So I went back into the year that they met. And the Andrews sisters was uh, a, a very big uh, group at, at that time. And they had a song about a a woman waiting for her man coming back from World War II. So I used some of the the verses from that because now she's waiting for him to come home again. She's in heaven, and Mm -hmm. instead of coming back from World War II, it's coming back from his time on earth to to be with her again. And you could, you know, it was just a no-brainer. The the, the lyrics were there. Mm -hmm. the, The moment was there. The reconnect to their early life was there. These are the kinds of things that I think our young people are very musically inclined. And there's a lot of music that, you know, you want to be careful what you're listening to on the one hand. But on the other hand, when it has these associations uh, that are positive, uh, that had to do with relationships that were strong, that love that was evident, uh, that pain that was that was healed, uh, those are, are excellent ways to, to allow yourself in. And, and the songs of the church, that's why so many people don't like to change uh, music in their parish because it's music that they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of, of consolation with that. And I would, on that same note with music, you know, it made me think of rap. And, and some is positive, some is negative, but there's such a a, a poetic piece to some rap. And so knowing that when you're journaling in here, it doesn't just ha- I mean, I don't want you to think about school, right? There doesn't have to be periods and exclamation points and commas. Um, you know, it's your creative piece to healing. And so, you know, writing, it could be in the form of poetry. It could be just bullet points. It could be kind of like a graffiti look. Whatever, you know, you need to do will be helpful. 
And you want to make sure you kind of limit yourself to 45 minutes to do this activity. And the reason why is because we don't want to get stuck in that place too long. And so you could create a part of your ritual or routine could be light a candle when you start this, and then you blow the candle out at the end, right? Or if you need to set a timer, you know, oh, here's my 45 minutes for my grief container. And when the 45 minutes is up, you're done with that. Because we want to be careful not to stick in that place too long. Um, You could even, in, in creating this routine and ritual, you could even put your journal in the same place every day, right? It's in that same place. You know where it's at. You know where to retrieve it. If you were writing about somebody, you could put their picture next to the journal if you wanted. Um, you're kind of making this your own thing. And in creating uh, <clears throat> in creating this, it, it does become like a ritual. And we just want to make sure that you're keeping that positive as well. These are This is about a positive ritual that you're doing every day to kind of help you through um, your grieving. Um, and so that you're not holding so much of the grief inside, you have a place to put that grief in its container. In the journal, Renee, and we mentioned about the, the, the in, within the journaling process itself, we, we've got components of the past, uh, we've got perhaps things of the future, but what about the now? Where does that come in? Where that's where we're at. We're in the now. We're in the now. I, I think that's actually a, a great insight, uh, Deacon Ronnie, because I think what does happen sometimes in journaling is it does get very. Uh, past dominated because we kind of get stuck. And so if what you wanted to do, I mean, it would be great to do this, is if you find yourself journaling um, and it's just about a past, then turn the page and what can I do about this now? You might even add that as a component. Uh, You could do past, future, now. Like so on your journal pages, maybe there's something in the past that you're really wanting to reflect on, you know, And then you can talk about, well, what do I want to do differently in the future? Or what would this look like in the future? But what can I do about this now? Um, I think writing about the present is extremely important. So if if you're mourning the loss of, of, you know, maybe not being the mother that you wanted to be because you're incarcerated, you know, definitely write about that past. Let's say, you know, you remember your child at four and you helped him get dressed and you cooked breakfast for them every day. But maybe you're not going to get out for 10 years, right? So this, you know, it's dreaming of, okay, when they're 14 or 15, I'll be able to talk to them about this or dating or how to put makeup on, whatever, right? But then what can I do about it now? Well, in the now, you are still a mom or you're still a parent. So how do I parent this child now? When that child comes for a visitation or video, which there's probably still not visitation due to COVID, but during a video visit, sending letters, you can still parent your child at the age they are now or even, you know, trying to prepare them. You know, if you're incarcerated because of drugs and alcohol, you can say things like, you know, if somebody at school offers you weed, don't take it because we know there's children as young as eight being offered drugs in some schools. So you can still parent so being cognizant of what you can do now, because there are things that we can do now. No, you will not feel this way forever. That is a tough one sometimes, that when you're in the midst of the hardest part of grieving, one of the things I think that can create the most disquiet is that you begin to get in your head this idea that I'm going to be in this vice that's squeezing me 
forever. And there is a party that has an interest in keeping us there, and I don't want to fail to mention that party, and that party is the evil one, Satan, the devil. Um, It is of the devil's interests to keep us in our vulnerable spot where we're struggling, where we might consider other notions than the ones that we know that lead us to the way, the truth, and the life. So to address this clinically, I think, is important, but for us also to remember that in that clinical condition can also be the playground of the one who wants to keep us away from God and to have the assurance that this isn't going to last forever, one, because it's the way we're built, but two, because God, as we lend ourselves to his voice as opposed to the voice of darkness, will definitely take us out uh, from that moment. But uh, tell us a little bit about why I should even believe that in the first place. Well, <clears throat> so what? one of the things that's written down, it says, you will heal and the intensity of what you're feeling will get better. And if you look at pieces of your life, it's true. We don't always feel the same way. Feelings change. They're not, they're not permanent. They, they come and go. If, if, I'm, if you're incarcerated right now and you're mad at your cellmate because they did something, probably a few hours later you're going to be over it, right, for the most part. And that's how most of us are. You know, um, feelings are temporary. And so this feeling of... Um, you know, the sadness or the anger, all of those things will pass and healing will happen. If you think back in your life, there's probably not too many feelings that you had that were there all day, every day, every minute of the day, because we would not survive that as a human race if we just were stuck in feeling negative feelings 24-7 every minute of every day. It doesn't happen that way. I think sometimes we're just not cognizant enough of feelings. And so what I always encourage people to do is, well, you know, I've been feeling really bad for days. Well, and I'll, I'll break it down. Well, you mean 24-7 Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday? Every minute, right? And really look at it, and people will go, well, I didn't feel bad at this time, or, well, no, I was doing this at this time. And, and then when you can look at it rationally, you realize that, wow, I really didn't feel bad all of this time. And then, um, once again, I think it goes back to, uh, you know, the process, trusting the process, trusting yourself, making sure you're doing all those good things to get through the grief process. But I will just be very honest. The healing work that I have had to do in my life, it all at the core, God was at the core of every healing piece in my life. Um, And even though... uh, Traditionally, therapist, um, we don't often engage maybe specifically God. We, we do uh, kind of encourage that spiritual component. Um, for healing to happen, it's about touching, you know, the emotion, the thinking. It's about looking at behavior, but it's also spiritual. That's what gives you, gets you there. When I didn't feel like I had anybody else to turn to, nobody was going to get me, or I just felt bad about crying to people all the time, I I would talk to God hours. I talked to God for two hours coming here to uh, College Station today, right? That's what I spent that time doing. Um, That's how you get through that healing process, and that's how you know that it's going to get better is when you have that faith. 
when you have that faith in God and you have him at the center of your grief process and the center of of whatever you want for healing, you can get there. And it's work. I think sometimes people um, with in, in terms of mental health, we think it should be easy, right? Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, Americans, pull yourself in. It's going to be fine. And and working on the things that hurt us mentally and emotionally, it's hard work. And you just have to stay dedicated to wanting to get better and have a better life. Renee, what um, you just mentioned that you know that you won't feel that way for forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but but while I'm feeling that way, I mean, what uh, what 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 do I do? So really, it's about I think for me. And, and what I encourage clients to do is is positive self-talk, right? So when I find myself getting lost in these thoughts of it's never going to get better, I'm never going to feel good about this, I'm never going to get over it, you know, one is to ask yourself, what evidence do you have that you won't get over it? And you can even look back at other trials and tribulations that you've experienced that you did get over and be like, oh, yeah, I did that. And just reminding yourself, yes, I can get through this. It's going to take one day at a time, but I can get through it. And every, it's this is about consistency, and it's about that hard work I'm talking about. Every time you have a negative thought that says, I can't do this, I'm never going to feel better, you really have to reframe and go, what? What? No, I can get through this. And look at some of those past challenges that you've experienced and and note when you were able to overcome something. And I would encourage you even, you know, I've told my daughter who was incarcerated, you know, um, she'll sometimes be hard on herself. And I'm like, dude, you did 18 months in state jail. You can you can get past this, you know. And sometimes that's her driving piece is like, yeah, I did 18 months in that state jail. I can get through this. I can make it work. And this feeling I'm having right now is just temporary. It's about reminding ourselves of those things so we can keep going forward. And maybe even writing it down. Write down a challenge that you had, you know, and then write how you overcame that, you know. Or write down a Bible verse that can help you get through that. Um, You know, those are just a couple of ideas. Well, and I had a practitioner tell me one time uh, when I was in a, in a pretty uh, significant anxiety episode, like a, a, a weeks long one, mm-hmm. um, sit down and you mentioned something very similar to this, but I think it bears repeating. Sit down and, and make yourself inventory. What are the facts that you're telling yourself from which your anxiety is flowing and sustaining itself? And you'll find that none of them merit that response that they're they're lying to you mm-hmm. um, and that that um, that is absolutely inflaming in, in my case it's an anxiety response and other people it might be depression it might be anger so uh, her her advice was just force yourself to do a fact inventory because that's part of why this is a disorder it takes what's real and fans it into something else that's where the the light of Christ the gift of the spirit, can stare down the darkness that the evil one wants to help fan those flames. And you get to say, there's a reason why we call you the father of lies, because what you're trying to get me to build my my current status on isn't real. You're sure making it feel real, 
but I have the option not to buy it. And so that was where her advice, it just kind of, it was like a, a, a bubble that just burst. And I was able to actually do what she said. And it, it, it took care of it just then and there. And, the, and when you mentioned, like she said about facts, look at the facts. Mm-hmm. So when I say look at the evidence, you're looking at the facts. Those facts are based on you. It's never about somebody else's opinion. So it can't be, well, my mom said, no, that's her opinion. Facts are based on you. You know your life. You know you. Facts can be based in in God, right? Because we know he's good. So whenever you're looking for those facts, <clears throat> that evidence, it's based in you and never outside p- opinions. It's not about what your mom thinks, your sister thinks, uh, the guy or girl you're locked up with. None of that. It has to come from your own thinking. And I just offer the fact that in those moments where uh, we're we're struggling with with that, just just turn to the Lord and invoke His most holy name. You know, come up with your own mantra, or or, or we have some beautiful prayers of the Church of Jesus prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Our, our our the Divine Mercy prayer, just something simple, but invoking Jesus's most holy name, the power of Jesus's name, will send the evil one off. <laughs> Uh, and, and 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 we can't do that on our own. We need the strength of of, of the one uh, who is uh, our source to be there uh, to to carry us on. And that that's the power of His holy name. Just just Jesus, help me, Jesus. I need you. Something simple, but just redirect your thoughts to that image of the Lord and knowing that He's right beside you. He's not off in some cosmos hoping you make it. No, He's right there with you. He's right there beside you on that bunk in that cell. He's there. You know, I, I have to tell y'all, I am, I think this happens when people like to control a lot. And I was a single mom. I'm very independent, right? So a lot of control stuff. And I am the worst about giving stuff to God and taking it back, right? So I'll say, God, I just need you to take this kid and do what you can do with him. You know, so I give him to, to God, but then I always end up taking it back. And so one of the things that I did to help me remember, it's called my Jesus star. And um, it has actually my kids' names in the Jesus star. And so whenever I'm having a thought about them, I put it in the jar. And that's where it stays is in the jar. And for me, visual kind of works because I'm a visual person by nature. And so it's a reminder of I gave that to Jesus, and I'm going to leave that in the Jesus star. It's for him to take care of. I cannot solve the problems of of the world or, or my kids. And so I give it to him. Any problem that's just, you know, if it's something work-related that I know how to do, I can do it. But for those bigger things, it just goes to him. You mentioned embracing the opportunity, that grief has the power to transform us. Uh, one of the things that immediately leaps into mind is that can actually be a strategy thought in the midst of, I think I'm stuck in mm-hmm. the negativity if I can actually say to myself, yes, this is negative in this moment, but I believe, and I liked what you said about going back to past experience and tracking that to, to affirm yourself, because again, I don't want to sound like I'm you know doing Satan under every rock, but he counters. And so you do something positive and he counters with something else to try and drag you back, like mm-hmm. what you were mentioning, where you take it back. So to, to say in that moment, this is going to transform me. 
It's done it before. It's going to do it again. I sure it's. I'm in labor all over again, and something's going to be born of me that's going to be a good. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, when I read that statement, I thought it was such an interesting statement. Um, embrace the opportunity. Grief has the power to transform us, and so several things came to mind for me. Absolutely, when I reflected back on losing my dad, what that was like, there were so many ways it transformed me. One is it drew me closer to God because literally when you're driving down the highway and you just hear on the phone that your dad literally just passed and you're smiling and feel this calm and peace, like, wow, that was Jesus speaking to me, right? Because in that moment, I knew my dad was no longer in pain, Right. And he was saved actually from a very horrific death that would have been associated with emphysema. So for me, it was really a blessing. And so that's wow, God is so great and he is so good. And it made me even closer to him. In in the grieving process with my dad, I have felt even closer to God in this process. It drew me closer to him because I almost felt like I didn't have a choice but to go to be closer to him. Um, And also me really kind of looking at my dad as a person, right? So my dad, as great as he is, he was an enabler. And and I tend to have some of those same propensities. And what I realized is I don't want to do that, right? Like I love it when people say I'm a lot like him because he was a good person. But there was some things that it caused me to be very realistic about. And so I was able to change some of my behaviors as well And so I think no matter what you're grieving, if you look at it, it can transform you. So if you weren't the mother that you wanted to be and now you're locked up, you can write or think about it, whatever. What kind of mother do you want to be when you get out, right? If you weren't attentive and you were always in your cell phone and you were out running around with friends or you were out you know, doing drugs to cope and you were emotionally unregulated, now is this time during incarceration maybe that you can reflect on those things and create a plan for, well, this is what I want now. This is how I'm going to be transformed to be the mother that I wanted to be. I'm going to come out and be emotionally regulated or I'm going to get help with that when I get out, you know, or I'm going to get into a supportive group because I don't want to use drugs again. And that cell phone can spend more time in my purse than it can in my lap because I want to spend time with my kids instead of on a phone, right? So transformation can happen through anything that you're grieving. You can take that challenge and make it into something that can really propel you to do better now and to do better in the future. St. John Paul II had this... uh beautiful expression where he recommended taking those kinds of of challenges and difficulties in my now, and when I go and attend Mass and the gifts are being taken up the center aisle to be offered up at the altar, place that person or event or thing among the gifts and let them be taken to the altar to be in the sacrifice of the Mass, to be transformed from whatever it was that was life-taking into life-giving in the same dynamic of 
the body of Jesus broken and his blood outpoured. And I've, I've always, I've said that to a bunch of people over the course of, of the, my priesthood and, and have utilized it myself because it gives you an action. It's, and, and yet it's, it's a material that's leading into something that's beyond the material. And, and ultimately that's, that's our hope is joining ourselves fully in, into the, the mystery uh, uh, particularly of, of the the sacrifice of the mass, um, grief resolutions. Tell us about that. So um, we had um, a visitor come uh, to um, do some uh, work with some of our counselors. His name is Gary Rowe, and um, so he has some grief resolutions for 2021 that you could kind of put into place. And it says, "I will give myself permission to grieve time and space." That means. I will be honest about what's happening inside of me and express my grief in healthy ways. I will take good care of myself, knowing the best gift I can give myself and others is for me to be as healthy as possible. I will give others permission to not understand or support me the way I want to be supported. I will release offenses and forgive quickly so that my heart is not overly influenced by words or actions. We thank you all for listening, and we ask the Lord to bless Renee and her work and all of us together that as we have to grieve, we can do so with the love of the Lord in our hearts. We thank you, Almighty God, for your love and mercy that you gift us and help us through every time that we enter into grieving. Our hope is in you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Brother, if you walk with me, Brother, will you walk with me?